Hi, welcome to the Back to One podcast with co-hosts Riley Eggy and CJ Arnold. In this episode, we are talking about racial reconciliation with Lonnie Arnold. Lonnie is my father and Riley's father-in-law, but he's a lot more than that. Lonnie has made a career of teaching, loving, and working with others as a pastor, a police officer, a manager, and now as the founder of the nonprofit, the Racial Reconciliation Network. Before we get started today, we just want to say that this is a really sensitive subject for a lot of people. Uh, A lot of people have experienced hurt around the topic of racism and racial reconciliation. And we just want to start by saying that we aren't going to say everything perfectly. And we just want you to know that there's a lot of grace. We have a lot of grace for each other. We have a lot of grace for our listeners. um, And we just want to invite you into that mindset of having grace for people in this conversation. And we also want to just invite feedback. Um, you can contact us at contact at backtoonepodcast.com or DM us on Instagram. So Lonnie, let me ask you the first question. We like to start by giving you the opportunity to tell us about yourself and the work you're doing through the Racial Reconciliation Network. Okay. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to thank you guys for having me and for the good work that you guys are doing. Thank you. And uh, it's a great opportunity to be with you. So I'm eager to spend this time with you both. Yeah. Thank you for being on the podcast with us. You're welcome. So uh, like uh, you all said, I'm Lonnie Arnold and um, the executive director of the Racial Reconciliation Network. The Racial Reconciliation Network was started. I've had racial reconciliation as a passion of mine for decades now. Um, But having difficulty getting traction in the community and in the church community in particular on this particular issue. But, um, you know, uh, with a number of shootings that had gone on in America uh, that drew a lot of immediate attention all of a sudden there was a heightened awareness of uh, this issue and it afforded an opportunity for me to step up and engage church leaders uh, at a new level. So the work that we're doing now is really what I'm trying to do is is, uh, contact pastors, network with pastors, and, and draw us together cross-racially okay. so that we are spending time together, getting to know each other. One of the challenges with the church speaking into this issue of racial reconciliation is that, for the most part, the majority of the church is segregated itself voluntarily. Right. And so we don't have a lot of credibility in the world when it comes to talking about racism because we're segregated ourselves. Right. So uh, the Racial Reconciliation Network really is designed to help pastors and churches come together across racial lines, across ethnic lines, and be able to connect with one another and really flesh out the gospel in a way that um, it really hasn't been Mm. um, on a broad scale. There are individual churches uh, that are multi-ethnic, that are working across racial lines. Um, they're fleshing out the gospel on an individual basis. Right. But when you're talking about looking at a, a, a county, a city, a state, where churches are, it's the norm for them to be working together. 
uh, that's pretty rare. I haven't seen it yet. Right, right. Is there a particular reason why it's pastors, um, like kind of starting with leadership? Is that the idea that it'll trickle down? Exactly, okay. exactly. Um, you know, you can have a grassroots movement in the church, but if the leaders aren't on board and aren't supporting it uh, with their time, energy, resources, then it'll die out over time. Right. And really, we as pastors have a responsibility to lead God's people. Right. Because this issue of race, race, racism, racial reconciliation uh, is a gospel issue. Right. You know, um, you know Jesus <clears throat> commissioned us to disciple every nation, tribe, and tongue. And because of that, we have an obligation to love everybody. Right. Regardless of skin tone, regardless of culture, and one of the unique things about living in America is the nations are coming to us. Right. You know, it's real easy for us as the church to <clears throat> to send missionaries to foreign countries and expect them to adapt to the culture of the the people there, right. adapt to the language, adapt to the food, all those different things. We want them to really be culturally flexible. But when people come to America from other countries, the American church expects them to adapt to us, right. which is counter to the gospel. Right. And so what we really need to do is we, we really need to learn to live with a missionary mindset at home. Right. Even if we're not going to another country. Exactly. To have a different worldview of what we're living our life for. Right. It kind of leads us into our next question. Um, back to one, we talk about how there's this um, obligation, as you called it, um, as, as a, the entire church to be unified, but also on an individual basis to have a relationship with Christ as your Savior and the Lord. So that being said, as a follower of Christ, why is racial reconciliation important? What role are we supposed to play individually and as a church collectively? Well, the, the reason racial reconciliation is important is because the Bible tells us to love our neighbors, we love ourselves. And one of the chief stories that Jesus, or parables that Jesus used to describe that was the story of the Good Samaritan. And in that particular story, he highlights the hero of the story being a Samaritan because of the racial tension between Jews and Samaritans. And so Jesus is weaving race into the concept of loving one another. Right. So in America, <clears throat> where we have a history of hostility between the majority culture, whites, and Native American, Blacks, Hispanics, um, a variety of races where there's this history of oppression and racism, there's hostility that still exists. Well, the gospel is all about reconciling us not only to God through Jesus Christ, but he also reconciles us to one another. Right. So that and in, in the Bible, it was Jew and Gentile. Right. And so from, from the very beginning of the gospel being preached, there was race was an issue that the gospel was addressing specifically. Right. And so individually, we, we all have a responsibility to flesh out the gospel. So how do I flesh out the gospel with someone whose skin color is different than mine? Who historically I might... Um, be expected 
or or at least accepted in terms of having hostility toward a certain people group, the gospel calls me to love that people group, to overcome the maybe the historical hostility or hatred and to replace that with the love of Christ. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that you use the word hostility um, because that was one of the things that we have had a lot of conversations about is that this issue creates kind of two camps and this polarization. Um, and we, we want to engage with both camps and people in both camps who have different backgrounds. And I think that that's one of the real struggles um, with engaging in this conversation is being able to engage with grace for people who are on the opposite side of the conversation mm-hmm. as you are. So there are a lot of people who struggle with this issue because they they haven't experienced racism and they haven't identified how it is even relevant to their lives and they can get really defensive and hurt and feel attacked. Um, so how, how do you engage with people who are experiencing that? Great question. So the, the first um, element of that before I start the conversation horizontally as a Christian, I need to have a conversation vertically with Jesus. Mm, yeah. And so it's this vertical relationship with Christ in which I'm communicating with him and he's communicating with me, but he gets to speak first. I mean, he he's the one who sets the agenda for the conversation. And he's already done that in the Bible. In John chapter 17, we hear Jesus praying Uh, to the Father that we believers would all be one. So that includes people from every ethnicity, that we would all be one as he he and the Father are one. Well, when you think about biblically how close God the Father and God the Son are, if I was to use a street term, I would say they were tight. Okay, And so uh, he says, "I I want all the believers to be tight with each other. Yeah. So that would mean across racial lines. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if I'm having if if I if I gain this perspective from Christ in terms of what he wants and and the reason he says he wants this is because he says when when we manifest that kind of unity between us, he says the world will believe that he was sent from the Father. Yeah. And so in one sense, really what he's, what he's getting at, he's saying, if, if we as believers in Christ, white, black, Hispanic, Japanese, Chinese, Korean, if we are united and in a visible way, a demonstration of genuine Christian love, the world will see that and they'll be attracted to it. I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like driving by a bakery. I don't know if you've ever driven by a bakery and you you get a whiff of like oh that was so that smelled so mm-hmm. good you know and and I I don't know about you guys but for me it's kind of like okay it becomes a moment of decision am <laughs> am I going to pull over yeah. and and you might have that moment where you feel like no I'm going to resist and then you turn the car around <laughs> right so what you're saying is that in like there's microcosms of of unity that you've seen, but in some ways you've you've driven by a bakery and there's been a stench. Yeah, 
And yeah. I'm not trying to throw the church under the bus because there's been a lot of people that have worked really hard. Exactly. But also, if we're going to have authority on the issue, right. then it needs to smell and taste and look right. like Jesus. Right. And, and, and that, you know, the Bible talks about us being a sweet-smelling aroma. Mm-hmm. And so if, if, if the unity that we have across racial lines is visible and it's sincere and it's sacrificial... Uh, like biblical love is, we become a sweet-smelling aroma so that when the unbeliever says, I'm not having anything to do with those Christians, he's going to drive by, she's going to drive by, get a whiff of the love and do a U-turn in their car Mm. and come back. That's what Jesus wants. And so when we think about this whole issue of racial reconciliation, it's more than just how we respond to a social issue. It's it's a gospel issue in right. which Jesus is in pursuit of the unbelieving world to be for them to be drawn into a relationship with him. Right. And we're and we're the means through which he does that. Yeah. We're just re- I was just reading the um, the verse about the ministry of reconciliation which mm-hmm. it says that Jesus gave to us. Yes. So he kind of fulf- he fulfilled it in a certain way by what he did on the cross, but he kind of handed us the baton and said, okay, you take it even further. Exactly. And it's all about people being reconciled back to their God. And Mm -hmm. Jesus dying on the cross made a way for us to be back in relationship with him. And it kind of all points back to the garden. If Mm. you think about it, like there's a family that is totally close to the father. Yeah. And we lost that. And you see Babel happens and we get separated, but through the gospel, we get brought back together, and if you go all the way to Pentecost, you see people understanding the same language, yes. coming together from different tribes and nations, mm-hmm. understanding each other, and it's kind of like the reversal of that. Exactly. Um, so that's exciting, but it, it really all comes back to people kind of making Jesus their Lord and laying down their agenda. Right. Their, you know, you kind of have to, for this unity to work, we've talked about how you have to lay down your own personal identity, not as in like, I'm not white or I'm not black or I'm not that anymore. But the number one thing in your, in your life has to be, I'm following Jesus for right. it to work right. or else what are we going to unify around? Right. Right. Yeah. I, and one of, one of the ways that I try to talk about this to kind of paint a picture for people, um, particularly when I'm talking to somebody white who a moment ago, you mentioned, um, you know, that people get defensive. I mean, so we can talk, if we talk about racial reconciliation <clears throat> kind of in general, everybody's for it until you start talking about history mm. and how people are attached to history. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, historically, when I, when I grew up, all the founding fathers were heroes. Christopher Columbus was a hero. We had a great nation. Oh yeah, we had a problem, slavery, but we fixed that with mm. the Civil War and everything got better. And <clears throat> but you know, digging digging more deeply into history, especially when you start talking about uh and I'll I'll just talk about the black community at this particular moment, when you talk about the trauma that has been experienced over the centuries here in America. And what's the impact of that on the African-American community today? It becomes painful to talk about that um, for both sides. Right. 
I mean, on in the African American community, it's painful because we still feel the effects of it, and we're dealing with it every day, <clears throat> and often we don't feel heard. From uh, the majority culture, white side, it can be painful because, and this is where I, I say you're wearing a USA jersey. If you're wearing a USA jersey and I start criticizing that jersey and I start talking about American history in a way where I said, look, Christopher Columbus was not just a discoverer. Mm -mm. He was leading the way for an invasion on people who are already here and with the intention of occupying their land and taking it. Now, all of a sudden, Christopher Columbus doesn't have the same kind of esteemed reputation. Where did white supremacy come from? Well, it came to the shores with Christopher Columbus because um, a pope had given an edict basically that said, authorized the king to send Christopher Columbus to go and find new lands so that they could occupy them. And anybody who wasn't European and Christian was subject to slavery or some sort of oppression. Right. Well, that paints a whole different picture. Okay, and so now your USA jersey has a stain on it, and I've just gotten started. And it, it starts to become painful. Right. And, and in part of this conversation, <clears throat> when we start talking about racism, is, is recognizing how, and, and this is a generalization that I'm, I'm about to make, white people usually think about racism individualistically, where black people usually think about racism systemically. So <clears throat> a white person will say, I'm not a racist. I didn't have slaves. I didn't participate in Jim Crow. I didn't lynch anybody. I didn't discriminate against anybody. I have black friends. I couldn't be a racist. And for someone who's black, who thinks systemically, it's like, how can you not see this? It's everywhere. Right. Because we deal with it in every major institution in the country. And because we've, our country was founded on racist principles, and this, this, this creates struggle. And, and part, part of the struggle, I think, also is this, that our founding fathers, and I do say our, our founding fathers were brilliant when it came to the issue of figuring out and thinking through principles of liberty and freedom. Um, but they had a huge blind spot. Yeah. And that blind spot was that the liberty and freedom that they were fighting for was only meant for white people. And so they didn't have a biblical view of people who look differently than them. So if you're, if you're a patriotic white American and I start unfolding this kind of history, it, it starts to become painful in the sense of you're identifying with them. And, and, and as we come down through history, now, let, now let's talk a little bit more contemporary. <clears throat> one, of, one of the big issues right now is 
Are you pro-police or are you pro-Black Lives Matter? Do you think it's okay to, to kneel at the national anthem or should you stand? And people are dividing oh, yeah. over this. Big time. Exponentially. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's in the news and people are marching and, and you know, even getting violent over these things. Part of the challenge, and going back to a portion of your question in terms of what's the church's role, maybe corporately, is, and this is why I'm focusing on pastors, is the church's role is to be the church. What, what we have gotten drawn into is we've gotten drawn into politics so that we have conservative churches versus liberal churches. Yeah. And, you know, so you have churches that lean right, churches that lean left. They both say they believe the gospel. But we've gotten so steeped in what I call political idolatry mm. that when we ask a Christian a question about racism, often what's happening is they're quoting their favorite talk show host right. or their favorite news outlet before they go to the scriptures and begin to talk about what Jesus or Paul or Moses right. said about this issue. Yeah. Even in the verse about rec- racial, um, about the ministry of reconciliation, it says that we're ambassadors of Christ. Yes. But I, what I say is that sometimes we become an ambassador of our political party right. before we're an ambassador of Christ, right. particularly on issues that might inflame us. Yes. So what do we do about that? Yeah. Well, it's, so I, I think the first thing that we have to do is we have to recognize that putting our hope in politics is a form of idolatry. Okay. And we have to call it what it is. You know, it, it, if, and here's one of the ways we know that we're idolatrous. We get anxiety every four years <laughs> during a presidential election. You know, is my guy going to win? You know, and and if you if you if you lean right, you know, you're hoping the Republican wins. And if you lean left, you're going to hope the Democrat wins. And you see this this tension even coming to the surface in the churches. And so so part of part of how we work through this, one of the first steps is to identify the idolatry. Okay. And as we identify the idolatry, then then we have to ask, okay, so what what do we do? You know, and th- and this means we've got to go back to the scriptures, and we've got to ask Jesus, what were you, what was your intention? And that's mm-hmm. what he was praying about in John seventeen. He was praying that we would be one. Okay, so if that's our focus, if our focus is to be one as he and the Father are one, we just have to start asking ourselves some self-examination questions. Are you spending time with people who don't look like you and loving them to the degree that Jesus loved the Father and the Father loved the Son? Right. Mm. If the answer is no, then you need to go find somebody who doesn't look like you and start spending time with them and loving them like the father loved mm. the son. Mm-hmm. And and this needs to start with pastors because if pastors don't do it, then the the lack of example in one sense will allow members of the church to feel justified in not doing that themselves. But if they see their pastors doing it and they see the fruit of it, then there's 
a motivation, there's an example, and there's the, the, the loving exhortation to walk across the street or across the city, across the neighborhood, and to engage other people who don't look like you yeah. and to begin to love on them, even though that they're different in their culture. Yeah, that's huge. I kind of want to, that just leads us right into our next question. Um, so on, on the other side of this, you kind of talked about lack of example as mm-hmm. being one of the issues and, and one of the reasons why we need pastors to do this. But kind of on the other side of that question, um, there's a lot of people who have been fighting the fight for racial justice yeah. and equity for a long time. Mm-hmm and have been hurt by the continual uh, failure and support um, and maybe lack of understanding by non-minority Christians. So how can healing and hope happen while the racial, racial reconciliation work is still incomplete and ongoing? And how can Christians on opposite ends of these issues sit down and work together and get back to one? <laughs> you know, pack those questions in, know. don't you? <laughs> it was probably like a few paragraphs and we got it down to... That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more. I can repeat it if you need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just start in response and you can prompt me where you want me to go. Um, so, it... it, it and, I mean, so there's there's a theological side to this where we, we have to, again, and this is why I'm engaging pastors. And, and let, let me say this, too. There are a lot of pastors who are passionate about this issue and are trying to figure it out. And I, just here in the Tacoma area, mm-hmm. I have been incredibly blessed to be engaging with a variety of pastors from a variety of racial backgrounds who are all in on this issue. <clears throat> and some some who are part of our network and some who are not part of our network, but we'll be networking with them in some way. And so um, while there's a lot of progress that still needs to be made, God's moving among his people. Um, and there are men and women who are asking for information, they're reading, they're trying to get into dialogues about this. And so I think we're making progress in the right direction. But I think, I think we need to, we all need to lean into this particular issue. So um, when we talk about practical things in terms of how do we bring healing in, in relationships, part, part of it starts with, for, for particularly for non-minorities, is simply being willing to listen. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, the, the defensiveness that, that whites can get in this discussion can shut the discussion down. Mm. And it can communicate, I really don't care about you that much. I don't, I'm not willing to come out of my comfort zone in order to hear your story. Right. You know, because one of the and, and this and this really is one of the challenges for whites. Um, and this is not a I'll, I'll just say it like this. Whites in many ways have been undereducated about racism. Historically, and, historically. Yeah. yeah. And and so they don't know. And they don't understand the significance of what's happened. And a lot of times they don't even know what happened. Right. They, I mean, they, okay, they, yeah, they know race, 
racism ex- has existed. They know that slavery existed. They know that there's a time when America was segregated. <clears throat> but for many, in their mind, that's all over now. And everything's fine. We've got equal rights and, you know, our Constitution gives everybody equal rights. And and they, don't, they just don't see the problem. And sometimes it's a lack of exposure. And so as... Um, Christians become more informed. And this is where our white brothers and sisters can really engage. Is It really is by reading history of slavery, history of Jim Crow. What kind of things really happened? I mean, when you start reading some of the things that happened, um, it will cause you to grieve mm. because it was so horrific. I mean, you know, we think about what happened in Germany with the Jews. And we look at that situation and think that was horrible. Yeah. But it happened here in America too. It just looked differently. Yeah. Um, and and, and, and I, I, I want to be quick to say that whites aren't the only ones who need to do this, do this kind of work. So I'm a black man. My home is sitting on land that used to belong to the Puyallup tribe Mm. that was forcibly taken from them where they were forced into signing a treaty so that Tacoma, as we now know it, was on their land. Right. So I, I wasn't there during that era where there was, you know, this oppression to the Puyallup tribe was taking place. And I haven't done anything directly to oppress the Puyallup tribe, but I have benefited from the Puyallup tribe's oppression. Right. So what, what's my responsibility now to the Native American community, knowing that, that I benefited from their oppression? Well, Romans 13 says, Owe no man anything except the debt of love. So I owe a debt of love to the Puyallup tribe. I, I, I'm aware of this now. And, and this is the same kind of struggle that whites have in relationship to Americans. A white person can say, I wasn't there. I didn't do slavery. I didn't do Jim Crow. You know, I, I didn't actively discriminate against anybody. But, the, but part of the challenge is, is that they're benefiting from it. And so when you see that you're benefiting from something that has its roots in injustice, then we have a responsibility to try to bring healing and relief to the people who were oppressed. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so, part, so part of the healing process is listening, learning, and understanding the the consequences of the oppression and how it continues to impact people to be able to listen to people's stories. Um, you know, I, I've heard conservatives say that black people just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Mm. And my response is you stole our boots, mm. you know, I mean, and, and, and I'm, I'm saying that kind yeah. of in a, <clears throat> maybe an easy way to comprehend or give an image, but 
the the reality is when somebody says something like that they don't understand the cumulative effect of what's happened over the centuries you know when the generational you, yeah. effects of what that can do yes yeah yeah i mean i mean just simply <clears throat> i mean when you think about if we go back to a period of time when redlining was legal in america where the practice in the real estate industry where they basically drew a red line and say okay the blacks have to live on this side of the line they can't live yeah. over here and so through that process they created low income er areas and th and and because of those low income areas and property value um the taxes that were uh gained for schools were a lot less for black children and so consequently black children got a inferior education because of redlining right and that and that has continued to those kinds of things still continue to happen today you know when i mean when you look at <clears throat> some of the impoverished schools in the tacoma area why why are we having the problems that we're having um a lot of it has to do with the fallout of this and then so now you throw okay you have redlining and then uh, other policies that damage the the black family and welfare was one of those and in that process of saying okay we'll pay we'll, we'll give money to the woman but the husband or the guy can't be in the house so now the family is disintegrating yeah and you know so you've got redlining that creates poverty poor education welfare helps to harm the family and so now you look at little johnny who he's five years old and we we can have some degree of sympathy for him sure but by the time he hits 15 the general society white society in particular expects him to know better than to get into trouble and he should know how to conduct himself and behave himself but he's been living in poverty uh without a father in the house a lot of this systemically by design and now and that the expectation is higher but he's never gotten the the kind of nurturing that he needed so at, at age 15 the sympathy is a lot less mm. and by the time he hits 20 it's all gone. <laughs> it's gone. And we built a prison for him. And and we have structured um, the sentencing in such a way that he's going to be sitting in there a long time. So so there's a, <clears throat> a, a common understanding in the black community that there's a pipeline from the schoolhouse to the jailhouse. And it's been erected as another form of slavery and so that reality well, white people don't think about that and and most are not aware of that reality and so taking the time to educate oneself about racism slavery jim crow why, why would you need to read about all of those because they're they're all connected and so when you come up to today and you're dealing with the issues, the current issues of the day, 
where there's there's tension between police and the black community, it's there for a reason. There's a connection. Right. And so for for, for whites to be able to understand that, hear our story and sympathize and have compassion and then also advocate for because that's part of the gospel. I mean, what did Jesus do for us? He advocated yeah. for us. He's yeah. our advocate. Our high priest. Exactly. And and so we as his ambassadors, when we see injustice or oppression, um, are called to become advocates for those who are oppressed. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that these conversations and studying the history um, it can bring up a lot of pain it can bring up grief mm-hmm. and it should because what what has happened is is terrible and um, is really hard and I think grief is a healthy response um, but we also believe in hope in mm-hmm. Christ um, and we believe that it's it's unhealthy to exclusively dwell in the hurt and in the hardship and in the grief and to stay there. It's also exclusively or harmful to exclusively dwell on like the positives and stuff. But we, we do believe, you know, having a healthy balance and then being able to see that good things are happening and have been happening. Um, so we just wanted wondered if you could just share one or two stories of God working uh, in Tacoma that have given you hope. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the the first one that comes to mind uh, out of our racial reconciliation network, uh, so I, right now I'm the assistant pastor at New Salem Baptist church and, uh, our senior pastor, Larry Jones is also involved, deeply involved in the racial reconciliation network, uh, as is another, uh, white pastor, uh, Chris Hippie, who's the pastor of city central. So those two have been building just a, a close relationship with each other, and it's been exciting to watch that happen. And so uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Chris Hippie came to New Salem Baptist and preached in our morning service. And this was groundbreaking because he's the first white pastor who's ever preached mm. in New Salem. That's wow. awesome. Yeah. And and the brother brought down the house. He <laughs> preached. <laughs> he preached the word. It was so, so good. Wow. And, um, you know, bless the congregation. And then so while Chris was there, he focused in on our worship leader, Anthony Miller. And uh, he invited Anthony Miller to come to Central City Central when Larry Jones was going to go over there and preach. Wow. Mm. So <clears throat> what happened is Anthony Miller got together with the worship leader at City Central, whose name is Jason. They got together, figured out the worship. Uh, Larry came over to City Central and preached, and he brought down the house. Mm. And the worship, you know, just the blend of these cultures together 
created Powerful. this spirit-filled worship mm. that was just like, whoa, man, if this is heaven, I want to be there. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it really was a taste of heaven. Yeah. And what happened, it, 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 it broke down barriers. Mm. It, it, and, and, it just, and in addition to breaking down barriers, it opened doors. Because what ended up happening, now Anthony and Jason meet every week. Mm to work on music together. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, it really is. And then um, the people in our youth department are connecting with the people in City Central's youth department Wow. and, and working together. I said, okay, this is what's supposed to happen. This is what unity looks like, where we're loving each other, honoring each other, worshiping our God together. And, and finding ways that we can not only b- bless the body of Christ together, but how can we bless the city together? Mm-hmm. So that that's one story with different chapters into yeah, yeah. it. It was just it was just exciting. And and the the reality is there are other pastors in the area. I mean, I could name names, but there are other pastors in the area who are reaching out and they're saying, "I'm in." I'm in. And so the conversation, what we're talking about, one of the things that we're talking about now is what does it look like for us to to be thinking regionally mm-hmm. instead of our, our own individual ministries and talking about the, the idea that we as pastors are the shepherds of Tacoma, mm. not just the shepherds of a congregation, but we're the shepherds of Tacoma. Tacoma belongs to Jesus. And the enemy has tried to claim it for himself. But like uh, Riley, you said a moment ago, we're ambassadors. We're his representatives. And And so collectively, we have more strength together operating in unity. The power of Christ. Exactly. Put on display by unifying. And so I, I am so encouraged. Um, there, there are, there are nights when I have a hard time going to sleep because I'm thinking about these pastors and the hearts that God has given to them and the move that he's doing among them. Um, you know, and, and the, the other thing is that it's, it's becoming multi-generational. So one, we, we just, we just started a second pastor group here recently as a part of the network. And one of the pastors who was in this group is 26 years old. And, uh, and there he's part of a multi-ethnic church plant and, and so excited to have him there because he, he recognizes his need for older men of God. And, and yet we're looking at him and thinking like, go man, go, you know, (laughs) it's, it's so, it's so exciting to, to see what God is doing. And so CJ, like you were talking about, you know, there's hope, there, mm-hmm. there's great hope. And, and in reality, with all of the racial tension and all the political division that's in the country right now, these are the perfect circumstances for the church to put the power of Christ on display. Mm-hmm. And so instead of being uh, a church in despair and a church worried, we should be a church rejoicing. Mm at the opportunity that God has given us to, to step up and to put the power of God on display. And we get to do that 
together by loving each other, leaning into relationship, uh, being compassionate to one another, and and just saying and that I'm genuinely committed to you, my brother, mm. not just to the ministry, but I'm committed to you. And so um, I'm very hopeful for what's to come. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing your wealth of wisdom with us. We could keep talking for probably six or seven more days. We might um, have to do this again, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes um, we will. <laughs> but, but in this podcast, we love to end with scripture and prayer. Um, so I know you have a verse that you feel is applicable to racial reconciliation. Yeah. Um, so we just want to give you the opportunity to share that before we close in prayer. Okay. This is John 17, 23. <clears throat> and this is Jesus praying to his father before he goes to the cross. And he's praying specifically for us who would believe on him through the words of the apostles. And, he, and this he says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Amen. 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 Well, I'm going to just close out in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you just for the work that you are doing in us and through us. I want to thank you for my dad, Lonnie, and just the the heart um, and the gifts you have given him to be a leader in racial reconciliation in Tacoma. And I just pray for the work that he's doing. I pray that you would just bless him and bless those that he comes into contact with. And I just pray for your spirit to be poured out in this city, God, that we would just be able to be ambassadors of you and that uh, in the midst of all the chaos from the past year, God, that we would just be a shining beacon of love and unity and grace and compassion and truth and justice, Mm -hmm. and that we would just humble ourselves to serve you and to put our agendas aside, to put our uh, biases aside and our pride aside, God, that we would just be willing to listen to each other, willing to um, just open our hearts to each other and to hear each other's stories, each other's pains, each other's struggles, and just learn to grow together, learn to love you together, and learn to serve you and serve each other together. And I just pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to the Back to One podcast. In our next episode, we'll be starting our first series, Pursuing Unity. Remember to subscribe wherever you're listening so you never miss an episode.